Morning, men. Uh, you guys are changing stuff up on me. Some of you moved over and moved over here. And, man, welcome those of you who are with us online. Y'all are going to be excited this morning because last week I went 37 minutes on my teaching. So I, I, I really worked last night to cut this one down. Just so you know, this is for all of you guys. Uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be quick. It's going to be short. It's going to be simple. It's going to be something we can take with us. And uh, going into the new year now, a couple of announcements, just just uh, so you know, the next two weeks we will not meet, not online and also not here. We've got, uh, of course, we'll be in the middle of Christmas break next week and then New Year's the following week and then we'll pick back up. We do it every year. We shut down for a couple of weeks and we'll jump right back into it after the first. So just kind of a heads up there for you guys out online with us and those of you who are here with us you won't see us uh, for the next couple of weeks some of you are celebrating that you get to sleep in and others of you are wondering how in the world you're gonna make it without your true north right so uh uh today is is an open day what i consider a lot of times like uh, the next three weeks are open sundays meaning i just preach whatever i it's not uh uh it's, it's really what I feel like the Spirit has, has told me to say. And so as I thought about this and I thought about us rolling into the new year and starting to do goals, you know, one of the things I do with my children is uh, they'll submit goals to me. There are five goals they'll give me prior to the first of the year. So it's a way that I can pray for them for the next, uh, for the next year and help them achieve their goals that they have for the next year. So as I do that, I thought, you know, what would be some of our goals as men? And there are a couple things that I feel like the Lord just really spoke clearly to my heart, caused these things to jump out, and that's what I'm going to teach on this morning. I'm not saying that it has to be yours. I'm just simply saying it should be, okay? That's supposed to be funny. But in reality, Jesus actually said these things ought to be your goals. This is what you ought to set out to be and to become. And uh, he reminds us, in order to have life, we must what? That's right, we must give it away. We must lose, lose our life in order to have life. The greatest among you will be what? The servant of all. So Jesus makes these statements, and he's really setting some goals. He's trying to say, hey, there's a way to find life, and that life is in me, and if you'll pattern your life after me, if you will follow me, then I will show you, I will bring you into, as a matter of fact, uh, some of your scriptures are read this way, fulfilled life, others are abundant life. And John 10.10, 10, the Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but it doesn't end there. Jesus ends this because he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, have a fulfilled life, have a life that means something beyond ourselves. So this morning, that's what I'm going to teach on. I'm going to be talking about having a life beyond ourselves because really the meaning in life is not necessarily about you. It's about others. Now, I said this Sunday, we, we always say Jesus is the reason for the season, but the truth is you're the reason for the season. Jesus came to save that which was lost, which was us, and it's through his love it compelled him to come to us. So, men, we're going to jump in and we're going to look at some of this. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for bringing us all together this morning. I thank you for a good group this morning. Lord, continue to lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would find life this morning. Father, your word, as we feast upon your word, Father, we know it is the bread of life. We know that your word does not return void. So use it mightily within our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of us men are going to leave 2020 and we're going to say, man, I praise God that uh, 2020 is behind us. Now, I've been preaching on this and saying, hey, we need to be grateful for the day. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But you also need to know this, that this is 
a day that we'll never have again. It's today, and God created us. He formed us in our mother's womb for such a time as this. You are here on purpose, not by accident. You are living through 2020, through the quarantine and through all the other COVID and all the other stuff and the loss of jobs and the finding of jobs and all of that. God knew and God intended for us to be here and we are called to be different makers during this time. And so we are looking for fulfillment. So as we think about 2021 and we start setting those goals, Jesus has already told us who looks to, to, to who, who, for whoever wishes to save his life must lose it. Greatest among you will be the servant of all. All of these things he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. So today we're going to talk about the abundant life and how to set those goals for 2020. In, in 1996, I found myself uh, down on the coast. Uh, I was there for spring break. And that's really uh, South Padre Island is spring break. When you're in college, um, seemed like the place to be. But my deal was different. I had, uh, I had been asked to go on this trip. I was not necessarily walking with the Lord at the time. I knew the Lord. I wasn't necessarily walking with the Lord at this time. And I went down to a deal, a mission called Beach Reach. Any of you ever heard of Beach Reach? Any of you ever served with Beach Reach? Okay, no, well, I thought there might have been one or two of us that had served there. But anyway, as I went down to Beach Reach, uh, uh, I was, I was uh, supposed to leave for OCS that, that following summer and was just getting things ready and kind of prepared for returning back to the military and what that was going to look like. I had been running and getting back into shape or some type of shape anyway. But as I, as I traveled down there and as I ministered with other college students that were five years younger than me, they were out there on the beach and they were sharing Jesus and showing, showing people that God had a direction for their life. They were serving, serving them, uh, pancakes in the morning. I mean, there would be drunks show up to these, to, to eat, you know, and they'd be stumbling around. We'd give them rides. We'd put them on these buses and take them wherever they needed to go so that they wouldn't drink and drive. And we were just kind of serving the population. And it was, it was pretty cool. And, and as on our way back, I, I remember Buddy Young, he just looked over me and he said, you're not supposed to go back in the military. You are called to ministry and you better submit to God because your life's at risk. I was like, wow, why don't you just tell me what you think, right? But he said, I watched you down there giving your life to others and you're good at giving your life for others. You're good at, at serving others. This is something that you ought to consider because I'm telling you, God's it was almost like I say all the time, the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts a lifetime of the opportunity. If God chooses to strip that away, you're going to be lost. You think you're going to be found. You think you know your way, but you don't. And so he pretty much preached to me the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way back from South Padre Island. So I jumped in the ministry. A couple of years later, I would get disgruntled because I had disgruntled parents. If you've ever been in youth ministry, you'll find out that it's not the youth that give trouble. All right. Oftentimes youth come with these things known as parents. And I wound up thinking, what have I done? I should have stayed with plan A, you know, thinking about how good it used to be. I, I was like an Israelite leaving, leaving Egypt, how good it was and everything else. And I, I, I remember uh, going in and seeing my pastor at the time. And he said, look, if you would have stayed with plan A, you probably wouldn't be here today. In other words, you, I don't even know that your life would be here today if you stayed on plan A. You be grateful for all those grumbling parents and you learn how to lead those parents as well as you lead those youth. And so it was just another challenge in my life to do those things. The best way you can lead, we all know this, is through a servant's heart. 
when people know that you actually care, when people know that you want to deposit something in them that they didn't have before, that's when we really begin to lead. When we truly care one for another, we love others as much or more than we love ourselves. And that's what Jesus means by giving himself up. I mean, Jesus came and where Jesus goes, his kingdom is, is before him, right? Because he's God. His kingdom is right here. It's right now. The scripture says it's at hand as, as Jesus walked this earth, but his, his kingdom looked different. It, it wasn't the expectation of the Jews. He didn't throw over, overthrow the political system. That's not what Jesus did. What Jesus did is he, he began to serve. He, he, uh, he began to a- answer questions about the meaning of life. Have you ever asked yourself this question? I mean, what happens when Jesus isn't enough? What, what do we do? Why would Jesus not be enough for us? I've asked myself that question. Why, why would I want to do something else? Why, why would I have other desires than serving God and serve his, serving his people? What happens when Jesus isn't, isn't enough? I mean, it's not that he isn't, but the truth is all of us have been frustrated at times while thinking we are following Christ and he is leading us. But here's the truth. Oftentimes, instead of actually following Christ, we're asking Christ to follow us and our own desires and our own kingdoms. And that will bring us to a place, especially as Christians, a place of frustration. It does, man. I mean, have you ever felt overwhelmed? Of course, we all have. Have you ever thought, I can't take one more thing? If one more person says this to me, I'm going to knock them out. It's not a good place to be in your spiritual walk. That's not serving our brotherhood, right? You ever ask the question, Lord, where are you? See, many times we say we're followers of Christ, but we're actually followers of our own nature. It's a great temptation, and we secretly hope that God doesn't get in the way. Uh, have any of you read the book, Blue Like Jazz? Real popular 10 years ago, 15 years ago, came out. Donald Miller, I read it because uh, I liked his book on spiritual discipline. So uh, he came out with this book called Blue Like. It was real, real popular. Anyway, this is one of the things he said in there. He said, I hear addicts talk about the shakes and the panic attacks and the highs and lows of resisting their habit. And to some degree, I understand them because I've had habits of my own. But no drug is so powerful as a drug of self. No rut in the mind is so deep as the one that says, I am the world. The world belongs to me. All people are characters in my play. There's no addiction so powerful as self-addiction. Wow. Great statement. You know, commercials out there today are trying to convince us that we deserve it, that we deserve so much more. I deserve it. You deserve it. Aren't we all worth more than what we have? How much are we worth? I had a man who who I went out of my way to get him a job for, for a man that I really respected. This guy had an energy company, and uh, he was actually building the towers that would go up prior to the big wind generators, and he was measuring wind speed to see what land that they would place these big wind, wind generators on. So he had a great job. He had his own business. He bid all these jobs. He employed four or five crews, and they were going out all the time. Finally got this, this kid a job on one of these crews, and it was so disappointing because Three months later, this, this kid, he, he decided that he wanted so much more. So he went in and he talked to his boss and he was already making like 17 bucks an hour plus room and board. And he said, I think I need more. And I never will forget his boss said, well, just tell me how much are you worth? How much do you think you're worth? Jesus answered that question for all of us men. 
He answered it. He said, you're worth my life. Every ounce, every drop of blood I'm going to give for you. And in turn, he's showing us in order to have life, we must what? Lose it. We must be willing to give it one for another. See, commercials are trying to contempt, to, are attempting to convince us that we deserve so much more. I deserve it. You deserve it. Aren't we all worth more than what we have? How much are we worth? Henry Trumbull once said, unless a man is ready to work for the salvation of others, it may be questioned whether or not he himself is saved. <laughs> Y'all didn't even get that. Cause see, it's kind of like a teacher. I used to check out on teachers too, man. I could preach, but I'm on camera. I can't run to each side of the stage. And really, I want you to listen to this statement. Henry Trumbull said it this way. He said, unless a man is ready to work for the salvation of others, it may be questioned whether or not he himself is saved. He who wants only enough religion to save himself is not likely to even have that much. When I read that, I just put the book down and said, you know what? I'm done. Jeez, I feel, I, I mean, really. But what he's saying is we need to be willing because once we get saved, what should we want? The salvation of others. And that's basically what he's saying. That's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus stated, this is the food. This is my food to do the will of my Father. He also stated, greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for his friends. In John chapter 13, we're going to turn there for just a moment, and I'm going to read this story. You're going to be familiar with this story, and we're going to break it down just a little bit before I'm done. This why I told you I wasn't going to have you long. And right now I'm 13 minutes and 25 seconds into it. So that's, that's just, you got to remember, that's normally just a third of what I normally preach, all right? So let's keep going, see if we can summarize this. John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now, I, I love that. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. I mean, Jesus' love is an unending love, and he's ready to give himself. As a matter of fact, why is this happening on the Passover? You scholars know. You don't even have to be a scholar. Who, who does Jesus represent? Good. The Passover lamb, right? So this is all happening right here at Passover, and Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? I'm about to give you something that no one will ever be able to take away from you. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves his love for us. And so he's about to show and share an unending love here. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, the devil, you have to remember, is really reduced to one thing in our lives. What is it? It's a voice, but it's a deceptive voice. The devil is reduced to deception. If the devil, the way he still kills and destroys, is by deceiving us, into believing either Jesus is not Jesus. Remember when the, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, and, and they basically ask him the question, what are the works that we should believe in them? John chapter six. What does he say? This is your work to believe in the one whom he has sent because the devil wants to try to deceive us to believe something different, to believe that our kingdoms are greater than his kingdom. That if we just built our own house, then we wouldn't have to worry about building the houses of others, much less the kingdom of God and, and his place. So the devil is, is full of ways that he and his demons try to deceive us into believing something other, either about ourselves or about our God. It is a difficult thing in this life to always harness our belief 
in Jesus Christ alone. Now, now you can, I'm a pastor and, and, and we can argue about this, but this is where Jesus really makes his, his case. He said, look, there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of false prophets, right? Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. All these things are going to happen before you. Be aware. Continue to believe, continue to follow, continue to find life, and you will find it in me, and you'll have it abundantly. Your life will make a difference. You will progress in this life and also the life to come. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas. How did he do this? Judas, guess what? Jesus is only worth a certain amount of silver. He deceived him. Oh, if you had that much silver, guess what? You'd be able to build your own kingdom. You don't have to worry about Jesus. So there's deception taking place here. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So here is Jesus. Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet. And he takes off his outer garment and he brings, he, he, he puts his towel around his waist and he begins to kneel down to wash the disciples' feet. Now here he is sharing and he is showing what eternity should be for us. All right. It should be a place that it, post Jesus' resurrection that we, as we believe and as we follow him, we too will wash one another's feet. And so he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, this is God himself. Why would God be there to wash your feet? It goes beyond that. We could ask the question, why would God hang on a cross and drop out every last drop of his blood for me? But he did. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. Very important that we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ because it's in Him that our man and our manhood and who we're supposed to be in this life becomes. It's in Christ. So our number one goal in 2000 or in 2021, right, should be to serve others as Christ first served us. See, in saying this, Jesus went on. He is teaching that his life will also find fulfillment in laying it down for others. That's how that scripture ends. That fulfillment comes in laying our lives down for others. So, two application points, and I'm about to wrap this up. You guys can't even believe that right now. Let me see. That's 18 minutes, 40 I'm going to be done in 20 minutes. Miracles still happen today. You just experienced one. So the first thing is recognize our own kingdoms. The first thing I would say is oftentimes self-reflection is the best way to recognize our own kingdom. What am I after today? What are my goals just today? What am I looking to accomplish this day? And who am I looking to accomplish those things for? Now, there is no doubt, men, that we have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our families. Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, unless a man takes care of his own household, he's not worthy of the kingdom. I mean, he's just not... So we have this responsibility to take care of these things. And yet within that responsibility comes a greater responsibility. And that greater responsibility is to tear down our kingdom so that we can build God's. Now, there are ways of tearing down our kingdoms. There are. And I could, maybe that's going to be the next sermon series. 
That's why repentance is a gift, men. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift where we have the opportunity to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Repentance is an opportunity for us to confess. And as we confess our sins, it's just like uh, we're told in John that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe what he's saying is be honest with one another. That's one of the best ways to tear a kingdom down is just to be honest with one another and allow others to speak, godly men to speak into our lives. But we can get in that later. We need to first recognize our own kingdoms and where we're trying to build them. Now, let me tell you something, that ambition and kingdoms are not the same thing. They can be. They can be interwoven. But you desiring something better, you desiring something greater, I'm going to tell you God is a builder, and you should have an innate sense inside of you that wants to build that wants to grow, that wants to prosper, that wants to do better. That is not wrong. Just don't let it get you instead of you always having it. In other words, don't let the things you pursue be more important than pursuing God himself and what he has for you. For some of us, that'll be a a 700-square-foot apartment. That's good enough. That's okay. You know better, you know worse. Well, you might be better because you got a roof over your head. For others, it might be a 7,000 square foot home. But there again, you might have ministries and other things that happen out of that. I mean, I, most of y'all know that mansion I live in on the side of the canyon. It's hard to, I'm just kidding, guys. All right, I do live in 2,000 square feet. All right, it's very, very nice. But there are six of us in there right now, and it's getting tight. Anyway. Learn to recognize your kingdom and always look for God's kingdom in your day. In Matthew 4, when Satan attempts to get Jesus, it's all about what it will do for him. You ever notice that? He says, he takes him on a mountaintop. He says, hey, look out over all this. All this could be yours if you will simply do this. You can have all these things. You can have all these angels. You can call upon these angels. You can do whatever. All this is about you. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's about that world down there that I'm about to give my life for. That's what it's all about. right? And it's in direct contrast to Matthew chapter 27, which in Matthew chapter 27 is the cross. So the cross is all about us. It's all about Jesus giving his life for the world. So there's a huge contrast between Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 27 and what Jesus actually does. The second thing and the final point this morning is this. Uh, learn to serve. Jesus makes a warning. You cannot serve two masters, for you will hate the one and despise the other, right? I mean, or love the one and despise the other. That's just kind of kind of the way he's got it set up here. So he's saying, pay attention. I need to be the master of your life. One of the ways to do that is learn to serve others, for sure. That's God's kingdom when we are serving others. It's one of those things I, I, I've got to find a way to really teach my kids because the, the, the more we live in this culture, the more it becomes about me, myself, and I. I mean, how long does it take before we have to look at the phone, before we have to look at a computer, before we want to know? I, I think we're way too available myself, but anyway, that's just me. We've got to look and purposely. Joshua does a great job with his girls. They're always looking. He and Amber are always looking for who they're going to serve this day. Who are they going to make some salsa for? JR, you make salsa. I never got any salsa from you. Anyway, just kidding. So here's the deal. We, we are to serve. We are to serve. 
Uh, J.I. Packer, famous older theologian, said this. He said, to seek pleasure, comfort, and happiness is to guarantee that you will miss them all. On the spiritual as on the natural level, these subjective states become heart realities only as byproducts that come from focusing on something else, something perceived as valuable, invigorating, and commanding. The seeds of happiness, it has been truly said, grow most strongly in the soil of service. The seeds of happiness grow most strongly in the soil of what? Service. So if we could just take that with us into 2021, men we will do good, and we will continue to build God's kingdom here upon this earth. Let's pray. Father God, once again, we thank you, Jesus, for setting the example for us. Father, greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for his friends, for his brotherhood, for one another. Lord, there's a lot in front of us we know going throughout today and going throughout this next year. Father, prepare our hearts for what's to come. Put on us the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and the helmet of salvation. Dress us, Father, for battle, that we may go out and not just battle for ourselves, but battle for one another, battle for your kingdom. And Father, watch your kingdom come to this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, man, there's some questions in front of you out there. Feel free to discuss those questions this morning.